Welcome to Digital Hospitality. I am your host, Sean Walchef. This is a Cali BBQ Media production. Today is an incredible day because we have a someone that I'm a huge fan of as a tailgater. Um, those of you that have followed the podcast, Digital Hospitality, we are a barbecue company that is also a media company. We talk every single week about digital marketing, digital media, sports entertainment. And for us, there's something very magical that's happening in the world. We have the offline world and the online world that are really converging. For the last 20 years, a lot of this has happened since Web 1.0 and Web 2.0. We opened our business in 2008 in a part of San Diego that was very difficult for us to make any money to get anybody in the door. So we started doing social media, which was started to become very popular. We did Facebook, we did Instagram, we did Yelp. You name it, we did it. We got on Twitter. Um, that put us into the place where we actually finally started getting people to care about who we were and what we were doing, um, which was cool because it allowed us to develop relationships online with local media, national media. We started doing podcasts, creating YouTube content, and it's taken us to a place where we're not only growing our barbecue brand, but we're also growing our media brand. Um, but more importantly, we hope that every single week on this podcast, we can bring on incredible people that not only I admire, that our team admires, but people that will teach our listeners how to do it for themselves. Um, because there's such an opportunity, no matter what you care about, no matter what your business is, to start creating content online, to start selling things online, and to really be the hospitality point of what companies, tech companies are learning is important. What we know in the restaurant business that when someone walks into our restaurant, we need to smile, we need to make them feel welcome, we need to thank them when they come in. Tech companies are starting to understand that you can only automate so much. You need to personalize that automation. So today's an ex a very, very exciting show. Um, tonight, we are welcoming Dana Falk, Hungry fan, CEO, and founder, um, somebody that I've been following on Twitter for, I want to say, eight years. Um, oh she's gosh. put out an, an Amazon bestseller uh, cookbook, and she she has tailgating her blood the same way that I do, and um, it's an honor to have you on the show. Welcome. Oh, my gosh, Sean. Thank you so much. And I'm sorry I said, oh, my gosh, but I can't believe you. I don't even know if I've been on Twitter eight years. Maybe I have, but thank Maybe. you so that, that's, my, that's my best estimate. I mean, the, the problem with digital content is there's proof. So I, I, I can actually go back and probably figure out when I started following you. But nonetheless, I was compelled to follow you because of your content. Um, I am you. a diehard Charger fan. I was elected in 2017 to the Pro Football Ultimate Fan Association in Canton, Ohio. So I'm one of 600 NFL fans that are in kind of like, it's not the Hall of Fame of fans because that was what Visa did. Um, but this is a charity organization where all the craziest, most incredible people that raise money for their NFL teams throughout the 32 NFL teams, um, they all come together. You have to get nominated to get in and you have to go through an, a whole process. And I'm one of six Charger fans that are in. Um, wow. So to meet wow. somebody like to meet somebody like you that's been doing it on the media side, the content creation side, you developed an app before that was cool. Um, so I, I want to, we want to talk about all of that. Tell us, uh, tell us yeah. when did you get tailgating in your blood or when did you know that it was, this is what, who you were and what you wanted to do as a career path? Well, Excellent question. First of all, you are awesome. And I'm so honored <laughs> to be talking to you. And by the way, just describing your business, all I could think of was like, 
is he hiring? Because that sounds great. <laughs> like, I'm in. That's yes. The part of part of branding is always recruiting, right? We got to recruit the top talent to to keep up with the Amazons of the world. Yeah, no, I just I love how your business is sort of multifaceted, but all sort of goes into one funnel and achieves one purpose, which I love and definitely want to talk to you more about offline. But I will answer your question. Um, so. By way of background, my dad is a sports agent, and um, a pretty famous like, one. <laughs> sure, yes. Sure. Um, I mean, he- yes. He's he's represented some remarkable athletes in his day, and continues to represent. He's smaller, smaller time now. He doesn't. You know, he sort of does it for fun at this point. But um, so that's how I grew up. And, he represent- and I have a he little. He represented Michael Jordan. I hope you don't mind me. <laughs> Letting no, that's, the cat out yeah. of the bag for those that don't know, <laughs> but yes, the Michael Jordan, the last dance, which if anyone didn't know about the Chicago Bulls run, but during quarantine was privileged to watch the incredible documentary that ESPN and Netflix in combination with Facebook. I mean, the work that they did to put that content out was just, I mean, it, it was probably one of my favorite things of the difficult situation that we're all going through. Yes. Well, I'm glad to hear that. It was a very long time in the making, a very, very long time. (laughs) Um, And I can actually tell you, I had a very fun conversation with an ESPN executive. I think it was during the college football playoff championship. I think it was 2000. I want to say 19. It might have been 18. And they were talking about this doc and and how did the last dance and how it was in the works. And he was like, yeah, we're still trying to figure out the release date. Like we still have to get Michael to sign off on some things. We still have to do him and that goes. And, um, and I was like, yeah, you should probably target 2023. And he like looked at me like, why? Like that seems like a far way off. And I was like, dude, think about it. Yeah, 2020. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Like, yeah, I don't know if we're going to wait that number. long. Every yeah, kid's favorite days. jersey number. <laughs> exactly. He, I was like, maybe just wait till 2023. And then it's like super thematic. And he's like, yeah, that's a really good idea. And we won't do it. But great, great idea. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so I, that's, this is the world I grew up around. But I, I it's it's really like it sounds super sexy and it is i guess you know to people who are sure. diehard sports fans i mean i've definitely had opportunities to be around and ex- be around people and experience things that people would bend over backwards and twist themselves in pretzels to do but i it for me like as a little kid i mean it all started Honestly, I, I was actually in my mother's stomach when I traveled with my mom and dad and Team USA basketball on an exhibition tour through France and Italy. So oh I sort of been at this a while, but it kind wow. of clicked when I was really young, like really young, like probably like I think I I think one of my earliest memories is going up. I grew up in D.C., but we would take the Amtrak. My dad and I would take it up to MSG, Madison Square Garden. Um, to watch the Knicks game because I Patrick Ewing was one of his clients. He was a uh, number one draft pick in 1985, um, and he was one of my favorites. And oh, I just oh. loved going to Knicks games. And his son and I were like super good friends. And so my dad would take me up, and I would sit with Rita, his now ex-wife, and like all the other wives, and hang out with little Patrick. <laughs> it was just so much. It was like a family thing. And and I. Like it was father daughter time, and my dad was on the road a lot when I was a kid. Sure. He had so many clients, and so he was always at a game somewhere across the United States, usually in the United States. And and so I didn't get to see him much. And so growing up, 
with him having the job that he had, father daughter time was really like at the arena or at the stadium or at the court. Um, And that's really how I came to love it. But I, I remember standing on the floor of Madison square garden for a while there. I was allowed to go into the locker room because I was so young that like, it wasn't like, it was basically like a toddler. So it was just like bringing like a baby or a toddler into the locker room. Like they don't know what's happening, but eventually I think I got to be like four or five and they're like, okay, like she's a little too old to be in the locker room now. So he would leave me on the court and all the security people would like watch me or like the the wives would watch me. And I just remember like looking up into the stands, watching the fans file in and like the guy with the huge D and the guy (laughs) with the picket fence, his buddy. And they would just run around the concourse. Which is harder now since they've renovated Madison Square Garden, but at the time, it was it was pretty easy, and and I just fell in love with these people, and like going to tailgates before games, like I mean, we DC, we would go to Redskins games, we'd also go to uh, away games, and just seeing what was happening in the parking lot, and then even when I was twelve, my dad took me to Duke for the first time to go to a Duke Carolina game, and I saw Shevskyville, Caveville for the first time, and if you don't know what it is should google it because it's freaking (laughs) awesome and i was just like this is it like this is the mecca this This is is like the peak you can't (laughs) get any better than this like yes tailgating at lambeau is amazing but like watching these bad shit crazy students tailgating like intense from december 26th till march 6th just to go to the carolina game and school by the way doesn't even resume like like spring semester doesn't start until like mid January, but they're there. And then you go into Cameron and it is electric and you're, you know, beads of sweat because it's hot. There's no air conditioning. I mean, they put it in, in like, I think maybe 2010, but you know, it was just hot, sweaty, loud, tiny, just great. Like the craziest situation you could ever imagine. And I just thought like, yep, yep. A, I'm going to go to school here, and one day I'm going to do something with this. Yes. And so so you're in Cameron. You're there as a girl, as a teenager. You're, you're taking in the atmosphere. And, I mean, I think for anybody that you either love it or you hate it. And then there's a subset of people that can't live without it, um, that understand that this is who they are and it's deeper than the sport. It's deeper than family. It's deeper than blood. It's something that it's a lifestyle that it just compels you. But it, the, the greatest thing about it is, is you meet so many different characters. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what your religion is. It doesn't matter what your race is. If you cheer for that team, whether it's a San Diego team or it's a football team, like that subset of people, they will get there before the athletes will get there. They will get there before the coaches get there. They will, if they're allowed to get into the stadium, they will get there as soon as possible. For anyone that loves tailgating, either the tailgating part, but it's it's the camaraderie, it's the circus, it's the the smells, it's the feel. I mean, I'm I'm getting goosebumps just talking about it because I miss it so much. You know, quarantine is really, I mean, sports fans, we're lucky that we even can watch baseball with empty stadiums, but you know, these are things that for me as a tailgater, as a Charger fan, as somebody that loves baseball, that loves tennis, that loves NBA. I mean, behind me is NBA and SD. That was my high school license plate. I mean, it's we care so much about having professional sports, which we don't have in San Diego. That's a different conversation. Uh, but, <laughs> but 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 nonetheless, it's 
for us, when the schedule, when the NFL schedule is released, it allows me, my family to understand not just what we do as a personal family, but what we do now in business of these are the dates. This is a Thursday night game. This is a Sunday night game. This is bye week. Literally, we decide what week we're going to have our amateur barbecue contest where we shut down the entire village in front of our restaurant and have 20 amateur barbecue teams. We pick it during bye week. It's Chargers bye week. That's literally when it's been picked for 10 years. Sometimes that bye week fell on something that didn't work. So it would be, okay, the Chargers play on a Thursday night. So we would never pick a day where the Chargers played a home game on a Sunday because then we would lose all of our tailgaters, all of the people that we cared the most about. And like, that's how significant this is to this subculture. And I think when you're a little girl, when I was a little boy, like you don't understand that. But once you continue to find yourself attracted to those people that are doing those things, you realize that it's just, it's different. You just can't describe it because it's a blood type and that blood type that what's in your DNA, you know, somebody, when you see them, because it doesn't even matter if they're from a different team, which is what pro football ultimate fan associations really opened my eyes to is they just care about football. You know, when I go to the Lambeau field and the chargers are playing the Packers, the Packers fans couldn't be more hospitable telling, come on over, have a brat, have a beer, you know, try this out. This is who we are. This is what we do. Let's talk about your quarterback situation. And for me, it was just, wow, these people are amazing. They love football, but they also love hospitality. Absolutely. It's like rivals on the field, but friends at the table. Yes. And I love that too. You're speaking, we're having like a mind meld here. Like it's happening. (laughs) And, and the tailgate always wins. So whether your team wins or not, the time that you spend in the parking lot, you know, I've been, I have a son that's three years old. My daughter's one. So they're, you know, they haven't remembered, but one of our biggest regrets is that San Diego Chargers are no longer here. You know, we will go up to LA and watch the games, but it will never be the same that my wife and I, the second date I took my wife on was to a Charger game. She would, she had no idea why we would be at a stadium four hours before kickoff. And I'm like, well, it's because they don't let us in six hours before kickoff. Right, <laughs> right. If, they let I, us, I, if they let us go six hours before, we would go six hours before. Absolutely. I actually had... I, I lived in LA for seven years and I I took a friend of mine down. We actually went and filmed. We brought a camera like gorilla style. I was just like, you have to she was she was learning editing and she was yes. like excited about learning like avid pro and like some of you know, edit stuff. Living in LA, people get into this stuff. And um <clears throat> so I said, like, why don't we go if you want to film something, you wanna make something fun, why something about at Qualcomm because yeah. I probably, you'll love it like because she'd never seen it before she she's actually like born, I think born and raised in LA but like was not a football fan was more of like a techie nerd mm-hmm. lovely person but just not into sports and so I took her down and uh, she just I mean she could not get over first of all how many people are there it was like 200,000 people well yeah at, at the at the Qualcomm stadium yeah, no, yeah, but like on, around on the, and like, yeah, and they, the largest yeah, tail like, in all of all of America. It was like it was like a village. I mean, there's yeah. like smokestacks. You know, it was sort of it was you know, like a weird, if you're coming from far away, you know, you get off you get off the freeway, you'd have to go around that like loopy thing, and so it seems sort of far away. And you're like, it looks like like, like a Hobbit village where like there's yes. the little smokestacks, and you see people like very small because they're far away at that point. 
she just was blown away. And I remember I purposely picked the far left lane to drive in, you know, the, all the yes. concrete pylons between the lanes. And so I picked the far left because I wanted to be able to talk to tailgaters while we were in line. Yes. And I found this awesome dude of Mexican descent that, you know, he, he was there with his family and it smelled so damn good. I rolled my window down. Like I could smell with the window closed. So I like roll the window down or press the button because it was, you know, we're past these days. <laughs> yeah, but we're past. <laughs> we're past, you get to change the verb now. You can't roll your yeah. window down. You just press the button and it goes down. But anyway, I lowered my window and I like just leaned out the window and I was like, dude, what are you cooking? And he like yells back. He's like, this is true. Mexican carne asada. Not yes. that you walk on me from this side. <laughs> it was def- that was definitely in San Diego. If the guy's talking about carne asada, yeah. you're absolutely right. <laughs> and so he handed me some and then he's like, you want a quesadilla? And I was like, yes. And so it was absolutely. like a huge thing of cheese, like across the pylon, like with, oh my God. It was so good, so friendly. Like I hadn't even made it into the parking lot yet, and I'm getting fed yes. by these awesome San Diego that, Chargers fans. It was what great. A, what a hungry fan moment! Oh was, my gosh, was that was pre-hungry great. fan, or was that was that when you were doing when you were creating content? It was early days of content. Very okay, so early you, had, you already claimed the domain. Yep, already had the domain. I um, also trademarked. Um, which I haven't used yet, so I'm, I'm, I'll keep it to myself. But um, the idea, I still want to do it as a show. Like, I really, really want to have, like, a competition show yeah. for tailgaters. Oh, yeah. Um, it's like, you know, on, in the in the good idea drawer, it's just a matter of, like, how do you get it done? And a whole other conversation for another day. But, but, yeah, that was, I mean, Chargers fans are pretty spectacular there's great fans like there's great fans everywhere but there's certain pockets of fans that just make you go even more wow yeah and they're just so much fun to be around and the food in san diego i mean especially if you like mexican food it's it's ridiculous it's it's very it's very special i think you know speaking of the journey of understanding something that you love and you care about and you're passionate about is always difficult to get to well how does it become a business how does it become a career mm-hmm. talk talk about where that point happened in your career yeah that's a really good question actually um and an answer that i have i have a very specific answer for you because i've been working on this because we're actually we're, we're raising money right now so i have yeah. to be able to explain oh you that. need a hook point i like it you need oh you need yeah yeah down well I, I need you know people need to be able to understand how you monetize a business like this yes. like you know, you think about, I'll back up and I'll just say, you know, for anybody who's listening to this and just thinking about starting a business to begin with, the number one thing that you need to be able to do is to define whether or not there is a market that will buy your product or buy your service, right? Like you might have the best idea in the world, but if there's no market for it, it doesn't matter. You have to be able to establish that, that there is a value, like a supply and demand curve that applies to whatever it is that you're looking to do. And so when I, you know, started thinking about like the business of Hungry Fan, I looked at people like Martha Stewart and what she built with Martha Stewart Living, which started primarily with content. So I thought like, okay, like I can do that. Mm -hmm. But I also looked at 
and that was like it is an analog for the kind of business it would be. But I looked at just the market in general. And when you there was like a, a, a survey um, and a whole infographic, quick and loans, I'll generally trust is pretty good with like numbers. Um, found that like 80 percent of America tailgates annually. During non-COVID years, right? Yeah. <laughs> like in the yeah. normal in the normal world, eighty percent of America tailgates every year, and they spend thirty-five billion dollars on just food and drink products alone, I which is it. a lot of money. That's I like maybe it. more than the GDP of some small countries. Yes, and that's not grills, RVs, charcoal. That's just the food and drink. It's not even yeah. like the appliances, like our slow cookers. That's not our our solo cups or whatever. That's it's not just that that has drink. nothing to do with the, either the sponsorship side either of the food and beverage right. companies that are spending money to market those products. Right. This is just this is actually consumed. Correct. Actually yeah. purchased. Yeah, that's yeah. amazing. That's it's that's amazing. incredible. And so I I I thought okay, like I'm going to emulate Martha Stewart, and I'm going to build a business that's going to help tailgaters and now home gators feel like this lifestyle is accessible. It's approachable. It's something that they can do and have fun with. Cause not everybody's like you, Sean, and knows what they're doing. <laughs> no, definitely there's a not. lot of people. Yeah. There's I, found, a lot of- I found a couple of them, but they're like, uh, they're this many. <laughs> you're, you're, you're like our, like our top tier, but like below you is like the committed. It's the person who like really likes it, you know, knows how to make some dishes, has some gear, but really wants to up their game. And below sure. them, it's really like the curious, right? It's the yeah. person who's like, those tailgaters look like they're having a lot of fun. I want to do that, but I have no idea how. And so yeah. I felt like I wanted to be the Martha Stewart for these people. I wanted to build the Martha Stewart living for this lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And content is great, but you really have to, content is has become a very tricky landscape in the last let's say five years. Um, and so what we've done is we've actually grown a product side of hungry fan, very yep. similar to what Martha Stewart did at Martha Stewart living with her JC Penny and Macy's lines. And we monetize our content with products. Yes. So it's our products. And then we also incorporate products that, um, we like, um, in, as in our collections, like other people's products. And that's how it's actually a real business. All the TV stuff, podcasts like this these are all great they're like marketing right but yes. they're not the business the business right. is selling stuff you gotta have you, you, gotta have you looked into subscription or any type of membership for mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. absolutely i'd love to do a subscription box i have a lot of ideas on how i'd want to do it and, and and segment like by team by region that is almost an like an entirely separate business. That's oh, a huge, sure. yeah. You, if you're gonna bite that off, you better have a huge staff ready to go and a lot of money. So haven't gotten there yet. But um, I started as a solopreneur. I brought on a business partner in 2017. We now have a head of marketing, head of branding. We have four writers now. We have a UX person. Like we're growing. It's That's great. Awesome. We're, I actually have a team. I don't have to do everything by myself anymore, which is amazing. Well, you're also looking for funding, right? Yes, we are looking for funding because we are we're actually growing so quickly. We can't afford the current rate of growth. We, um, and I know COVID has been very difficult for everybody and, mm-hmm. and for companies. COVID 
for us has been a blessing just on the business side. Um, we cannot keep our products on the shelves. We so from like March 20th for that six weeks after COVID became a very major national problem or international problem. Um, we basically sold out of all of our products and spent like all of June and early part of July with nothing to sell because we yeah. couldn't afford it. So we actually did, interestingly enough, we did a, um, a crowdfund for inventory financing on a awesome. platform called Kickfurther. I don't know if you're, I'd never heard of no, it. I've never heard yeah. of it. Kickfurther? Check it out. Kickfurther. Yeah, so we we needed to raise about thirty thousand to replenish our inventory, and then like double the amount that we were going to order, and so we put that up there on Kickfurther, and we closed our round in forty four seconds. No way. Yeah, way. Forty four seconds. Forty four seconds. Get out of here. I wish I was. I was shocked. I was like, oh, this is going to so be when hard. Are do- when are you doing the next funding round? Forty four seconds. Uh, oh my god. Well, that inventory. I was just for inventory. Like we're doing capital raise with like angel investors and stuff right now, but um, for growing the business. But I think we'll probably use Kick Further as a as a tool for inventory financing for sure. Well, we, you know, we had a good experience. I'm very fascinated. Just personally, um, I've shared with people on the podcast, but also on our social pages that you know we're in it. We're experiencing a lot of growth too for our barbecue brand and our media brand. So we will be raising capital as well. Um, how are you going about raising capital? Are you comfortable letting me know and our listeners know how much money you're looking for or what the strategy is around it without revealing what you're not supposed to reveal? <laughs> Um, sure. We are connecting with a lot of angels. Mm -hmm. Um, we're, we're sort of, we're not, this is not like a series A, this is seed, seed round, Mm -hmm. um, because we are growing. So we are looking to approach it in that fashion with the appropriate funding instruments, ideally not pricing our round because it's a little early. Um, we're presenting actually, uh, next week at the Colorado Capital CCC, Colorado, I don't know, it's through, um, Rocky's Venture Club, which is one of the oldest angel groups in America. We're working with another organization that's like global leaders. Um, we're, we have a very, I highly recommend a robust LinkedIn strategy. It totally works. Yeah, um, we've gotten a lot of really great leads, and I can tell you more about that offline if you'd like. Yep. Um, we've gotten a lot of really great leads through through LinkedIn, um, and um, you know, like you can go to like Angel List and see who angels are, and you know, you register as an angel on I think it's Angel List, and and you can. Um, as someone like you or me, we can go on and see like, are they tech investors? Are they biotech? Are they CPG brands? Like hospitality? They sort of generally will tell you what they're interested in. And, you know, there's a lot of cold calling, but a lot of cold it kind of works. Yeah. Well, it's not just, it's not just cold calling, but the, the digital research that you can do to find people that care about or understand the space that you're in, I think is probably the most powerful thing. And that's the thing that David Meltzer, who's my mentor, who's been on the podcast, he was, you know, the sports yeah. agent as well. I'm sure you yeah, know, I know him. Yeah. 
Um, But him and I talk frequently just about not just traditional financing methods, but financing through media, through marketing, through unconventional ways that people typically wouldn't talk about their plans and they would have people sign NDAs. But for me, why I'm so compelled to his content is he talks in the same way that I do is I don't care that I'm sharing our company plans on the internet, on Instagram, on Twitter, because I know that it's taken me 12 years to get to where I am, and I'm not scared of anybody stealing our ideas. Not only that, but I also know that we're in the information age. So just by me talking about it is letting other people who know who I am, who I already have a reputation with, go and say to somebody that they know that has a high net worth or somebody that's looking to invest, they go, hey, I just heard that Sean's Sean's uh, opening up more restaurants. You know, you said you were looking for a new investment. I think you, they're already vetting the work for me. I mean, just by saying that we've, we're going to be expanding our business. I've been contacted by two different owners of shopping malls directly, like not through their real estate agents, but directly saying, Oh yeah, we'd love for you to be in our shopping mall. And that wouldn't happen if I was, if I wasn't willing to at least put that information online, which is, um, very interesting. I appreciate you sharing that. What, what kind of, what kind of key performance indicators do you guys use to measure your growth? You said that you're, you're growing at a rate that you it's not sustainable obviously it's payroll a lot a lot related to yeah right? payroll and, and 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 inventory i mean we just can't keep inventory on shelves like we raised prices we tried to slow it down so that we could you know wait for our new products to come in and couldn't couldn't even do that people were buying our products at higher prices which is a like these are champagne problems right these are great great problems to have um, but they're still problems like when people champagne yeah. problems. i like that i, yeah, I, have, you know, I haven't like, heard that well, when an investor says to you like hey like how come you know your numbers are down for june and july and you're like well like they would have been stock in you know in, in if we had inventory in stock but because we didn't it's zero because we couldn't sell anything so yeah. it's, it's sort of like it's a it's a great story to be able to tell though but like when they're like well you know because they want to punch holes in your story and they're like, yeah. well, what happened in june and you're like well we sold out like literally like had nothing out. left. Right. Like, sorry like oops i will say just to f- finish up my thought from before i do have somebody i want to talk to you about but i i don't want to do it let's do it offline yeah offline who is a friend of mine who is an expert restaurateur uh mind if you will he he his guy how do i talk about his cousin is a very very successful chef Mm -hmm. and tv personality slash celebrity he built his empire like did the business side behind it he's an attorney and a consultant um he is responsible for some of the largest franchises uh like sandwich franchises in this country he's a very very smart man and could probably be a very good resource for you and it's also worth noting that there are companies out there who if you are interested in raising capital can help you they're sort of like we're using one called 10 capital based out of Austin, Texas. Um, and they're really helpful. They have a, um, a network of, I think it's like 1200 to 
maybe 2,400, it's somewhere in there, uh, angels that they personally have in their network that they send newsletters out to. Um, we participated in a webinar of theirs um, recently, I think it was last week, talking about investing in women and minority-owned businesses, which was very well received by their community. And they just help you get organized and put together the documents that you need for a capital raise, depending on, you know, whatever your, your format may be, but it's very, it's very, very helpful because raising money as a business is a lot of work, particularly when you also have to continue to operate your normal day-to-day business activities efficiently, effectively, and at, you know, beyond a hundred percent level. It's a lot. So just something to put out there for you. Well, no, I really appreciate that. And that kind of goes back to sharing information, being vulnerable. If you aren't willing to ask for help, then you don't know who can help you. And that's such a powerful thing that I'm learning and I'm continuing to learn is that, you know, even though I've learned a lot in 12 years running our business and, you know, building the media side of our business, the more that I share and the more that I have connections like this, turns out you're going through the same thing we're going through. And, you know, if you, if you make a mistake or you hear something or you have a success or you find somebody just like you said in the restaurant space, and that's the powerful thing for listeners is I really hope that people listening to the podcast, they understand that we live in a world where it doesn't matter what you care about. If you care about something, there is content being created either in audio form, video form, or written word on the internet. And there's somebody that's doing it and they're doing it in a way because it probably is guerrilla style right now. But that guerrilla style, as long as they're consistent and they love what they do and they keep producing that content, they're going to build a platform. They're going to build a following if they're doing it with the right intentions. And that opens them up for all kinds of po- I mean, Did you ever think that you would be selling out of grills when you first started Hungry Fan? Right. Like selling yeah, out I mean, we don't, products? Yeah, like, like, our, like our grill tongues are our number one product. And I, first of all, I never thought I'd be selling grill tongues, but I love that we are. <laughs> and I, I, when, <laughs> When January came around, so right now the majority of our products are made in China and we're actually in the middle of working on some deals to move our manufacturing to other places, including the United States, which is like our number, like in a perfect world, we'd love to make all of our products here just so that we could say we're hiring Americans to help us with our, like, I'd love to be able to do that. It's a really, it's a long it's a long, longer conversation. That is a very difficult thing to do, yes. unfortunately, with the labor unions and the way things are set up. So anyway, um, currently we make our products in China and their Lunar New Year falls in January. And so they shut down factories for like two weeks to celebrate their the Lunar New Year. Yeah. Right when that ended, COVID hit China. So we went another several weeks of not being able to get any products from them. So it wasn't even like the problems began here. Yeah. Problem started significantly sooner. So it's been, um, it's been an interesting road. I, I would never have felt like I said that selling tongs and (laughs) cool ice cube trays would have been the thing, but, but you know what, like the interesting thing of all of this is, you know, you gotta, you gotta pay attention to the data, like having anecdotal knowledge about the tailgate or even home gate space is helpful, but you really have to pay attention to the data. And so, and this also plays into like, when you're trying to raise money, you really need to know your, your market, you need to know your business, you need to know your consumers. And it's really quite interesting. 
even before COVID, there was a trend that has been happening where tailgaters are sort of flocking to the home gate space. Yeah. Not that tailgating isn't awesome because it totally is. But like, if you think about maybe why they're doing it, it makes sense. Like, you know, taking a family of four to a football game is expensive, like crazy expensive now, which is why probably 35% of all tailgaters never leave the parking lot because they just hang out there. You pay your right. 20 bucks for your parking space. It's a lot more affordable than paying, you know, $3,500 for four seats in the nosebleeds and you can't yep. even see the ball. Correct. Um, you know, your TV is probably pretty awesome. It might even have like 3D technology. You probably got great speakers. Like your sound system set up with your TV is probably super dope. Yep. And so like you combine that with the awesome camera angles that we're now getting at games that look like video games. The watching experience at home is great. Yeah. You've got your kitchen, you've got your stove, you've got your fridge. You don't have to worry about bringing the cooler. Like, it's all right there. And if you're a girl, you have your own restroom. And, like, you're this very happy true. with that, you know? Like, <laughs> I say that to people and they, like, laugh. And I'm like, have you? how many times have you had to, like, squat in a porta potty that's we, absolutely we, we would get our own porta potty just for the women in our tailgate. We would rent our own porta potty, not provided by the stadium. We actually had a separate company come out and bring one just for the women. That's how much we I care about tailgate. Yes. <laughs> yes, I, I I can't. I mean, like, I'll do it. I, don't, I mean, I because you have to. Like, if you gotta go. You gotta go. But like, you're gonna wait in line for like 35 minutes. Yep. It's gonna be disgusting. There's no toilet paper. Like, you're gonna try not to touch anything. There's no Purell left or, or hand sanitizer. I mean, there's no hand sanitizer left in the world right now. But That's um, you know, it's just it's gross. So like, I say that and people are like, oh, it's so funny. I'm like, well, it's actually it's like a pain point for for sure. women on game day. But um. So yeah, there's this this shift to the to the home for a variety of reasons. But you know, like I said, not everybody's like you. And the data that we found, there was actually a Google sur a survey, and they found that 58 percent of these people who want a home gate don't, and they don't because they find it really hard. Like they don't yep. know what to do. Hmm. And so all of these products, all of our content, all of our recipes, all of the things that we do here at Hungry Fan, mm -hmm. we're basically just trying to solve that problem for people. If sure. you're home or in the parking lot and you don't know what to do, like, don't worry. We got you. Yeah. That's, that's what we're here for. So how and now you, that includes products. I, I think that's very important. And I'm glad that you hit home, on, hit home on it because we talk about creating content all the time. And we talk about creating content on every platform. Number one, first for your website, because if you don't create it for your website, then you're just creating it for a social page that the algorithm might change. Or if it's TikTok, it might get banned. I mean, it's right. so important. And you don't own those users. Correct. They're not yours. Correct. You need to create the content for yourself first, for your website, to drive e-commerce through your site, also to collect emails, to yeah. build a community through the content that you're creating. But exactly. nonetheless, you also have to pay attention to the data. You have to figure out what is the content that people, when you're actually producing a blog, you have, who's actually reading the blog? Where are the search results? What are the, what are the right. keywords that are actually driving the internet traffic from... Right. Not just from our social, but actually from Google and from right. Safari. Why are you writing that blog? Correct. Why? Correct. So what how do you how did how did your evolution come to where you guys are where you are as a team now? Um I mean, really, it's data. So my business partner who I brought on, he's great. His name is Oleg Ambari. He is a reformed banker. He um 
used to work at JP Morgan and he is like, he loves making spreadsheets. He is the exact <laughs> opposite of me. That's not me. That... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but he you, need, loves... you need a spreadsheet person. That's for but sure. But you need a person who can look at the data, model data, yes. manipulate the data and figure out what's going to work. Why? What are drivers? Because again, while I might love the idea of doing some activation or selling some product, mm-hmm. it still has to, it, like, we have to know that people are, that they want it, that they're going to buy it. So we do a lot of surveys. We survey our newsletter list frequently with prizes. Like, you know, we want to incentivize you. It's nothing like major, but it's something that you didn't have before, even if it's like a gift card to something somewhere. Um, but we want to know what you want to read. We want to know what you want to see. We want to make sure that you are you have a reason to return. We want to make sure that we're delivering value to you. Because if we're not delivering value to yes. you, we're not helping you be the MVP of your game day celebration, which is like our thing, then we're not succeeding. Yes. And I think that's so important. And it's, you know, it goes back to just a personal question is what would I want to receive in my inbox? Would I be excited to open this email? Like, is there something of value in here every week? Like we all get hundreds, I mean, hundreds, I get so, I get so many emails, but the ones that compel me to share, which is back, we had Brendan Kane on who wrote uh, 1 million followers, um, how he got 1 million followers. He worked with Taylor Swift. He worked with Rihanna. He's worked with all these Fortune 5 companies. But he, he, beta, he beta tests all of his content. I mean, anytime he's actively running 40 different ads for promoting his book on Facebook with just different text, different background. And yeah. like, it's mind blowing to think when you interview someone that has a mind like that, like for him, there's no other way to do it. But for me, it's more of I just wanted to do it. But you have to have both. You have to have somebody that's willing to create the content, but also that's willing to analyze the content so that you can actually hone down on what is going to work and what's giving value. Because you know it's giving value once it becomes shareable, right? Once you create compelling content that someone goes, hey, my you know, my buddy that we tailgate with that just his easy up just broke. Like, look at this, look at this article about, you know, all the cool things that easy ups doing to solve this problem that happens to every single, every single section of Qualcomm easy ups are falling down. This company has figured it out. I'm going to share it to my charger fan group. Who's going to share it to, you know, their buddy that has, you know, a Raider tailgate. That's how compelling content share is spreads. Mm-hmm. And that's how you make, that's how you make a great business. Right. Yeah, that, yes. And, you know, on top of that, it's when you get feedback from your community that's, oh, this piece was really helpful. Thank you. You know, it lets me know I should do more like that because you're, you felt compelled enough to reach out like back to me essentially Mm -hmm. and let me know that this was helpful for you, which means, you know, you took, I know you took those extra few minutes out of your day that you really didn't need to, but you did. And so, I need to make sure that my content team, I write the content. We have other writers. Like I need to make sure that we all know more of this. Yes. What was the most difficult thing for you in your career running Hungry Sham? The experience that's been a lot of difficult things. Like it's been mostly difficult. It's, all- it's been mostly just difficult. Um, 
<laughs> you mean it's not it's not easy cre- creating creating content? None of this platform is easy. And, a, and an e-commerce site and things that blazing trails that haven't been blazed before. No, what do they say? Like the pioneers, you can recognize the pioneers because they're the ones with targets on their backs. <laughs> there you go. I like that. I haven't heard big, that. Big fat target right there. Target, yeah, yeah. I, I, oh, there's, I mean, Sean, there are easily ten very passionate answers that are yeah. all different things that have been difficult. I, but I can say just being and I hate saying this I do I really hate saying this because it sounds like so 2020 like oh my god <laughs> me too or whatever but and not to belittle the me too movement because I've actually had that happen to me but um being a female in this business has not been helpful pretty much yeah. ever yeah at all either in food or media like either one or sports, food media either or sports. you're you're crossing a lot of male, three male different, playgrounds yeah, yeah. three different industries all very female unfriendly yes um being a solopreneur for many years and bootstrapping this thing extremely limiting you know you only have 24 hours in the day and honestly like i worked them and i worked so hard that i worked myself into the hospital i was very ill for like nine months because i I burnt the candle so hard on both ends yeah. that I literally, my body just was like nothing. That sucks. <sighs> you know, finding ways to monetize content when you see companies like BuzzFeed laying off the majority of their staffs because they yeah. can't figure out how to monetize content. Exactly. And you're like, I'm this big, like I'm this big and they're this big. And if they can't figure it out, then how the hell am I supposed to figure it out? Right? Like, yeah. what the hell? Like, what are we doing here? I mean, there's just so many different, so many different things that have been working with networks like the TV and streaming side of this blows blows you can have the best idea in the world but if you're not you know a celebrity they don't care right now even though ironically like there are thousands of hours of programming that need filling yes thousands of hours and like that That, that's like that's more than that I mean, look at all the streaming shows. The We're amount of streaming, content. like Netflix, yeah, right. And Hulu, right? And 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 now Peacock and Apple HBO Max. Yeah, Disney, Apple. I mean, there's just like you close your eyes for ten seconds, you open them, and there's a new streaming platform. Like, I'm like, what the hell? Whiplash. Yeah. But with all of the content that's being made and hours that need filling, it's it just blows my mind how difficult it is to get content off the ground. And I've been on like the half yard line multiple times now, and it still didn't work out for various reasons. And it's just very, very frustrating. And, you know, my goal is not to be a TV star or like, I'm not trying to be famous, but it's very clear. If you look at Rachel Ray or Martha Stewart, even Anthony Bourdain, like brands are more easily built with larger platforms to market on basically like TV. Do you think the infrastructure is actually going to ever change? I mean, cause I would argue with my experience as a single unit barbecue restaurant owner that started to do media and develop relationships with people that I highly respect and admire in radio and print and media you know, from what I hear on the network side, and, you know, like I said, this is a third party perspective. It's not actually me, but it's people that I really respect and trust. I just don't think that 
legacy media has treated the internet with the respect that it actually deserves. And that's what gives me as much hope as I have, is that there's mm -hmm. such a power structure in the way radio was done and the way TV was done and the way newspapers were done, that that's the way that it was done. But they haven't caught up to what we all know, where we all are, which is right here on this smartphone. You know, we can... Yes produce yeah. 4k content and it's up to us to create create compelling content to build our own tribes to build our own communities where we yes we're not buzzfeed right but there's things that buzzfeed do, does really well or that are learning how to do well and we can learn from them because ultimately amazons and walmarts they you know they can only do so much but when you get down to the village side when you get down to that single tailgate it's going to be more powerful coming from someone like you or someone like me than it's going to be coming from a huge corporate entity like walmart or amazon well let's hope that they figure that out <laughs> but um i yes you're everything you're saying is is right and i think like in an adjacent way, that's why you see like YouTube stars getting shows because they've been able to establish tribes um, on on YouTube or TikTokers. Yeah. Like there was a top TikTok guy who was interviewed on um, MSNBC the other morning. I mean, like that's that's something. Well, yeah. Um, I mean, we I'm have not there. Like I just didn't do video right away. Like I went to Instagram and Facebook. I guess that's my bad. But. <laughs> Well, but, I wanted to build a community. But the point is you're figuring it out, you know, and like that's what we're all doing. We're all trying to figure out, you know, is it blogging? Is it video? Is it photos? Like how is this Internet thing going to work? But also it's going to change and it's going to continue to change because if we all don't think that the Alexa in our house that, you know, I use to play music for my kids when they're, you know, getting ready for bath time and they're dancing around like we, it, we <laughs> use it for music. But eventually we're going to say we're out of toothpaste. You know, Alexa, you know, order me toothpaste and toothpaste is going to come or Alexa, I need something for home gating and your your content is going to come up. You know, I have the conversation. Sam, the cooking guy is a close friend. He's been on the show multiple three different times. Our most our guests that we've had, he has two million YouTube subscribers, but he also has two brick and mortar restaurants. He also is creating products. He's developing relationships with brands. He's trying to figure out what we're talking about. You know, it's like, where are you? How are you a business? as a personality he's obviously getting paid for two million youtube subscribers but there's even more power in what he's doing compared to what you could do before if you were working exclusively with nbc or if you're exclusively working with one grill company you know because of who yeah is he he's able to play in multiple different playgrounds i totally agree i think the only thing that makes the nbc's of the world or whoever uh, still attractive is that they already have an entire machine, yes. including a lot of money behind them yep. to promote you and whatever it is you're doing that is very difficult to replicate on his side or it's my bigger, side. It's a bigger this. scale. It's a bigger stage. It's a much bigger. Yeah, they just, it's, it's not faster. You can't even, you can't even compare the stage. Well, and it's not even the stage. It's just like your your friends, Sam. You said yeah. right. He yeah. he he gets paid through YouTube. He's got two million eyeballs. But like for him to up with some sort of campaign to push through something requires a lot of effort sure. to get attention. Even though he has the two million eyeballs, but it's like organization, dollars, marketing, strategy, and then eyeballs. 
right? And there's other stuff in there too, but like, let's just say those five things. You walk over to an NBC, they have all of that in one office ready to go. You just hit, you know, it's just done. Like, you know, put in the next thing. Like, what's the next project? Go. What's the next? They got billboards on Sunset Boulevard. They've got like whatever it is ready to go that they already own. And it's just very difficult to replicate something that large, that seasoned, that well funded independently. I agree. I also think that because they're so big, the piece that Sam brings to the table, they've discounted for way too long. And no matter who they hire to come and try to catch up, that's the piece that's the most important moving forward. Absolutely. That's, that's, I totally that, agree that is you. the piece that leaves them as vulnerable as they are. And that is the piece that I'm most excited about for people like you and me. We had uh, Robin Linders, who's grill girl. She's been in the food space and the grilling space. Like she's dealt with the same. I, I mean, obviously different, but you know, she's lived in this man world where people told her she couldn't grill. People told her she couldn't be doing food. She couldn't creating, she couldn't be creating content and she keeps doing it. You know, she keeps doing it. She keeps learning along the way. And I think, you know, it, it's hard, you know, it's back to what you said. It's like, how, how many different failures have you had? You have, you have easily 10 that you could go into that, you know, it isn't easy. You know, there's nothing easy about being an entrepreneur or being a content creator or trying to do something that hasn't been done before. But would you, yep. have it, would you, would you have it any other way? Could you see yourself yeah. doing anything else? No, I, I, I had an experience when I was 21 years old, my senior year of college, horrible situation. It was going to be me or my friend. One of us was going to get killed and it wasn't me. And I'm really glad. I'm really sad. And I'm really glad. And I decided when I was 21 years old that I was never going to wake up and work at a job that I dreaded going to, or that I wasn't at least extremely excited to go do. And I wanted it to be authentic to who I was and, and what I what I believed in and what I cared about, what I was passionate about. And I, wor- I worked jobs, but I, I would say, like, I've been very fortunate to have the support of my parents to launch Hungry Fan at a pretty young age after only working in, like, a few regular jobs before I came to really full-time hungry fan um but like it's 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 almost like impossible like building all this is impossible and people are like i don't understand what you do and like (laughs) and it wasn't until like this year that being a female was like cool so um you know (laughs) yeah it's it's it is something that I do not regret doing. I love waking up every day, even when my schedule is packed and I have to get up at 5.45 in the morning and I know I'm going to work until like probably one in the morning the next day yeah. and know that it's going to be a slog and it's going to suck. And I may or may not even have time to eat, um, which is terrible. And you should always make time to eat because it's brain food. But um, I, I'm excited about it because I'm forwarding my own. It's my vision. It's something that I set out to build. And every we get like that much closer and I see like blow up and be awesome and be much bigger and more revenue generating than it is like well you know we make about a million dollars a year and like the next step for a a business is like that two to three million dollar ceiling which is very difficult to break that's like very easy to get stuck in the one million yes and and 
to break that ceiling takes a lot. And I, I feel like we're very close and I feel, I can feel it. I can feel the momentum. I can feel every day, all of these efforts, like, you know, people, people have sort of been on, not everybody, but a lot of people have been, um, less busy during these crazy times. I've been bajillion times more busy, like a bajillion times. I'm so I'm so tired. I'm so tired, <laughs> but it's so worth it because I can feel how close we are. Well, I, I really appreciate you, you know, sharing your vulnerabilities, your, you know, inside, inside baseball, so to speak of your brand. That's, you know, it's difficult for me knowing that I've started to share financial numbers about our restaurant because we're at a point where we're ready to scale. And, you know, for 12 years building a business in Spring Valley, like I said, off the beaten path that does three over $3 million a year as a restaurant. And there's only 11% of restaurants that make over $1 million per year, um, mm-hmm. full service restaurants. And I know that we've capped out at this location. And I also know that the full service restaurant model and sports bar model is broken because the margins are too small. The margins are too small for the hospitality that we want to provide. And for me, it's not worth it to cut back on labor because then I'm not giving who I'm not giving our customers what they deserve and they deserve the absolute best. So how do we transition into the next phase of our brand? And that's through digital hospitality. It's why we do this podcast. It's we believe that this is something that anybody, no matter where you are in the world, no matter what business you're in, this is the way forward. And and is it an easy way? Not at all. There's every single company needs to figure this out. The advantage that we have is most people don't even know they need to figure it out. They don't even realize that there's an offline world there. They've been operating offline and they've ignored online. And then there's online companies that have ignored the hospitality that offline companies have known for a long time. That's where I think the playground is. That's where I think that's why I'm excited to have conversations like this with you. Um, I'm beyond excited that, you know, I got to spend this time with you today. Um, You're it sounds it sounds like a, we've got a couple more episodes in the future for the evolution of uh, of Hungry Fan because you're going to be doing some incredible things. The fact that you're willing to hire a business partner to bring on a team, I think that says volumes. Um, it's something that I've learned. If I don't have Howard Solomon, who I've had on this podcast, we brought him on. I brought on Sydney from RSI. I have Eric, my general manager, but. I can't grow this brand the way I want it to if I think I'm going to do everything. If I think I'm going to be doing the podcast and doing the videos and opening up more restaurants and running the restaurants and running the barbecue, it's not possible. It's it would be naive. Jack of all trades, master of none. Correct. So um, I know you have a special gift for the listeners of the show. You want to let them know what that is? Yeah, yeah. Um, we are putting together some cool free stuff. I think it might be a free. I'm, we're actually still working on it, to be honest. It's going to be amazing. That. Bottom line. It'll be great. It'll be great. It'll be great. The first gift that out of anybody that's listened to the, the first hundred episodes of Behind the Smoke, now we're up to hundred another fifty episodes of Digital Hospitality. This is the first time a guest a guest has gone out of their way to give our fans an actual bonus content, which is amazing. Oh well, thank you so much. So thank you. Um, so head to hungryfan.com forward slash Cali BBQ. So C A L I BBQ. Um, we're putting up a landing page just for your listeners. Um, and uh, we're actually in the process of launching an entirely new hungryfan.com. So stay tuned because I think starting August 24th, you're going to start to see the facelift. Yeah. It's really good. And it'll be really 
uh, I think even more helpful. So if you check uh, the landing page, Cali forward slash Cali BBQ now, be able to uh, not be able, be sure to check back after the 24th. It'll be like a rolling launch. Like we're page by page. Um, It's, it's going to be so awesome. It's, it'll tell a story. Like if you go to hungryfan.com now, you might still be scratching your head going, I'm sorry, what is it these people do? What is this business? And that's because everything's been super bootstrapped, but we, we have finally hired a amazing UX designer who's like, yeah, website sucks. The fan, the fan journey is terrible. Like, let me help you with that. I'm like, okay, thanks. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. the new one will be really, really great. So much great content in the pipeline. It's it's all like in draft mode and like little bits are getting published now, but we're trying to like hold off and publish some of these really good things um, once the new cycle goes live. But we'll have, we're cooking up something unique for you guys. Uh, so by the time this goes live, it'll be, it'll be up. Well, Dana, you are phenomenal. We're going to put um, links to all of your social pages, your website, the special site for the fans um, in the article that Ian and Stover are going to work on on our team. Uh, we can't wait to see what you do. Um, I think, you know, it's it's a great lesson. And I, I really appreciate you sharing with the fans is that it's not easy. You know, there's nothing easy about it. And I'm somebody that's always optimistic. And I like to think of myself as a pragmatist. But the, the power of somebody you taking the time and you taking the opportunity to share the vulnerabilities and the difficulties I think help people that want to get to where you are or want to get to where I am or have even bigger dreams because we're all doing this thing together and if anybody thinks that they have it figured out you probably shouldn't be hanging out with that people those kind of people you need to find you need to find people that are curious that are driven that are doing the right things and they're focusing on their craft a little bit every single day so um i'm honored honored to take this time with you today and um appreciate you guys for listening to the podcast stay tuned for next week and uh be sure to follow dana and hungry fan on all the social 